You're all a little too rowdy this morning. Don't you know this is the tradition service? Come on now. Welcome to Livingstone Church. I'm very glad you all are here this morning. Um, it is great to see the joy of the Lord upon your faces. It is great to see Christ in your hearts working in us this morning. Uh, we've got a few announcements that we want to talk about before uh, we head into our, our time of praise and worship with you this morning. Um, the first announcement this morning is, is this, uh, for those of us who are members of Livingstone Church, today we are voting on Jeffrey becoming one of our elders. And so I'd ask that that's um, in the fellowship hall right next to the, the coffee. So head on in there after this service and, and vote for that this morning. Um, and also we have the a new members class coming up. Um, it's called our foundations class. And I know we've talked about it not just being a membership class, but also an opportunity to learn about Livingstone. It's not like you have to become a member after going through it, but it is definitely good for you to go through it to understand who we are and the unique calling we are we have to the mission in this valley to reach those who are not yet believers for Jesus. And just help, just to encourage you to, to attend that is on May 14th and May 21st um, coming up. And also the next pastor's coffee. If Livingstone Church is your church home, and even if you're new to Livingstone, you, I would encourage you to come to the pastor's coffee. We've had some folks come who've been longtime members of Livingstone um, and come to the coffee and you're like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Um, what we do during this, this time of Pastor's Coffee is on the first Saturday of every month at my house. Um, the Sunday before, we'll put a little flyer, a little postcard in your bulletin for you to know and get directions because Google Maps still does not acknowledge my street exists. Um, and so until Google Maps acknowledges that, I'm afraid you might have a hard time finding my house. But um, we talk about Livingstone, a little bit of the history of Livingstone. We also talk about the direction Livingstone is going. And Christy and I sit down and you get bored to tears with our story. Actually, I was told um, it's anything but boring um, and it's a little overwhelming at times. But uh, you get to hear our story a little bit about from Christy and I how God brought us here and the work that he is doing in our life um, in our children's lives as well. This morning, um, I appreciate your prayers as we celebrate Christ in two different services this morning. Um, this, this week was a good week, but a, a hard week. Um, this morning I've kind of been upstairs and spending some time in prayer. And What is going on in my spirit? Um, I'm grieving this morning. Um, two very dear families to me who have walked the journey since basically since I've gotten here. Um, God, is, God is laying on their hearts that they need to to pursue him and the first is the McCarty's um, dear friends of ours many um, of you who know Jesse and Jacqueline their little son JR um, Jesse has children that are in Colorado and he works with the Forest Service and the Forest Service is giving him a promotion and moving him to Colorado and he will move in June D- uh, Jesse is also one of our deacons um, in this church and he will be very much missed, and he's a very dear friend. Dave and Joan Coldy are putting their home on the market because God is calling them to be close to family and to care for family. Um, they are not moving, and we are not letting them move. We'll, 
I, we need to get some of those boot things. Anybody's got a connection, those boot things that they put on cars when they got too many parking tickets? We need to find out somebody who's got one of those. Um, um, but they're putting their home on the market. And the reason we tell you this is because we want to communicate. And we want to make sure that if you were to drive by the Coley's house and you saw a for sale sign out front, you would know what's going on. Just like when I put my house up for sale, we moved into town. We didn't want people going, what's going on? The pastor's got his house up for sale. So um, I'd be asked that you just be praying for the for the coldies as they, God is laying on their hearts for this decision. But again, they're not moving until their home is sold. And if their home doesn't sell for a while, they're going to take it off the market and, and realize God has just stuck them here. And um, God will give them the strength. <laughs> that would definitely be the selfish prayer. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, yeah, and, and so just pray that you, God would be working His will and His plan out in both these families' lives. Um, being from the military um, and moved, having moved quite a bit myself, this transitional life is, is something that is part of, but kind of um, not what you expect when you come to Chelan. So um, just be working, praying for them. And these are wonderful, special people. Um, and amazing people that have been such a blessing to me and my family and to all of us. So just pray for them as they look to pursue Christ. And that's, as I was talking with Dave this week and Joan, as they took me out to lunch, um, you know, when somebody takes you out to lunch, you, you know something's coming. And, and so they took me out to lunch to, to share this with me this week. But as a pastor, there's no greater thrill than watch watch the people that you get to shepherd pursue Christ. And that's, that's what I want for all of our lives, is to pursue Christ and to pursue where he is calling us to be and to go. And so pray for them as they both, these, both these families desire to pursue Christ and where he's taken them. This morning I would like to call us to a time of, of praise and celebration with the Lord at, at a Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father God, we desire so much for your presence to be powerfully felt in this place as we come together and as we desire to glorify your name and worship your name. As we desire to draw together in one heart as your church family, united in our Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Messiah. Lord, may your spirit powerfully move here this morning and touch us Lord God, reveal in our hearts this morning where we have been unfaithful. Reveal in our hearts, Lord God, where we have misunderstood. Lord God, reveal in our hearts the incredible joy of our salvation. Lord God, as we worship you through song, as we worship you through studying the word, as we spend time in prayer. And and Lord God, I pray that the word of God powerfully this morning would be effective and effectual in our lives. We pray this in the most holy name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
please stand and join us.
The psalmist David continues saying in Psalm 103, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Holy Father God, we humbly come before you as people not worthy to be called by you, but by your incredible grace and love and affection for us. We have this opportunity to Proclaim your name, your most holy, most excellent name, the name that is above all names. God, you are you are mighty, and you are merciful, and you are slow to anger. You are steadfast. Your ways, Lord God, are ways that we cannot understand or comprehend, but are completely good. You are faithful when we are faithless. Father God, we come before you this morning confessing hearts that have been hard, hearts that have been pursuant of our own plan in our own direction, hearts that have justified sin and rebellion against you. And Father God, we confess these things before you. Father, we confess hearts that are always looking to something else and desirous of because we are discontent in the moment that you have given to us to serve you. We're constantly looking to and fro instead of being satisfied in the peace that you have given us and entering into the rest that Jesus Christ so abundantly offers to us. Father, we thank you for your rest, your peace, and hope. Lord God, we bring before you the the incredible needs that we have, needs for spiritual renewal, rejuvenation. We also bring before you the request for physical healing, Lord God. As Chris has been thanking you, thank you, Lord, that she's home from the hospital, but still far from being well. Lord God, we pray for Lois's mom, who is ready to come and to be welcomed into your arms. And Lord God, we Look to you for your divine time in those moments. and Yet we anxiously await the news that she has been brought home. Lord God, give Bill and Lois incredible comfort during these days. Lord God, just continue to work in our midst, please. For we desire you to reign upon our hearts as King. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We could have our ushers come forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ago in Denver, so don't be sure to congratulate them, and be sure to ask Dave what it was like to walk his baby girl down the aisle, because <clears throat> it's always fun to watch a tough cup, cop just kind of melt a little bit when uh, 
he thinks about his baby girl getting walked down the aisle. But uh, we celebrate with them. Um, I got to meet um, their daughter's husband um, at that time, fiance. What a what a great man and what a godly man. Um, and I look forward to hearing about great things. Uh, he's a Denver Seminary graduate, so I, I tend to take you know th- those of us who suffered through those years. Uh, we kind of it's it's like a little bit of a club, and we kind of you know we had imaginary face you know bumps and shakes and yeah, it's all good stuff. But. Uh, um, this morning we're going to be uh, look for you to turn with me to Ephesians 5. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit, um, but before we get into Ephesians 5, I, I, got, <laughs> I was not planning on going here, but um, I had the privilege again of having pastoral school this week um, down in Wenatchee, um, and the gentleman who came and spoke this time, Art, um, he, um, you know, I never even caught his last name. It was, it was a different last name, and I was so mesmerized by his teaching, um, by his instruction, that I just kind of, um, yeah, didn't didn't catch his name. Oh, my slides are there. We go. We'll start there. Um, and he came out of a portion of his time with us out of John chapter twenty, and I was like, we really need to begin there this morning. John chapter 20, we're going to begin here, and this is where we're going to read this morning. John chapter 20, 19 to, to 23, and you're going to probably, as we read this, go, how in the world does this relate to the husband and wife marriage and what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 19 regarding marriage and divorce? Well, bear with me for a little bit and we'll get there. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 19, on the evening of that day... The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you from Genesis to Revelation. Your word is faithful. It is true. And then when we talk about marriage, that all the scriptures agree with each other. And Lord God, that we recognize this comes and this only takes place because these words are your words that you have given to us, us through human authors that were divinely inspired. And Father God, we, with great anticipation, ask that your work would effectively and powerfully work in our hearts this today and, and challenge us in our regards to understanding what marriage should be and this beautiful illustration you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three weeks ago, we started this series out of Matthew 19 and we've been going through Matthew and looking at the different understanding and themes in Matthew. And we hit Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12, and we discover the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him this question regarding divorce. 
Is it permissible to divorce one's wife? Jesus takes them back to the intention behind marriage. Because you can't talk about divorce until you begin to properly understand God's intention for marriage. So we had to go back to where? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. And in those passages, we discover God's intention for marriage. And so that first Sunday, we talked about God's design for Adam and Eve and how he made them for each other. And last week, we talked about the relationship that we're to have as married couples, as husbands and wives, that it's a primary relationship. It's a permanent relationship. It's an exclusive relationship. And it is an intimate relationship. This morning, we're going to spend time looking at the illustration God gives us to properly understand marriage. You see, in John chapter 20, starting here in verse 19, as, as Jesus appears to his disciples after he is resurrected from the grave, what a glorious and what a wonderful moment this was his for his disciples to see the risen Lord amidst them in their room, the doors locked, the windows sealed, Jesus appears to them and he commissions the disciples. Because the accomplished work of Jesus Christ is done, it's over. He has taken, he has defeated sin and death. He is victorious. Jesus is victorious. We now have peace that we enter into because of Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished on our behalf. We have salvation through our Lord and Savior. And, and so this peace he gives to us, peace be with you, he says. And because of the peace that God has given to us through our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what is His next words? Since we have this peace, what should we do? How should we respond? Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus commissions His disciples that because of the peace that has been given to Him, they in turn are to go take this proclamation of peace, this declarative work of Jesus Christ, that the work is accomplished, it's done, and take this message into the world. Well, you may be saying, okay, I agree with what you're saying, Scott. It's, that's old hat, that's old news, but still not following you on this marriage thing. Well, Ephesians, right? Well, how does Ephesians come about? Ephesians comes about because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. He appoints Paul as one of his apostles, one of his disciples. And so Paul also, because of the peace that he has been given through Jesus Christ, is also one of those ones that have been sent. And Paul goes to Ephesus, right? And because of Paul's work in Ephesus, a church is formed there. A group of believers. And when I talk about church, I want to be explicitly clear here because it's really good. We're not talking about Paul said, you know what, I'm going, to be, I'm going to go here and build a church. And when we talk about building a church in Paul's day and age, he doesn't say, we're going to go make a nice building. We're going to put up some nice walls. We're going to put some ornate stained glass window, and it's going to have a really big cross. So everybody who drives by knows that that's a church. No, what he does is he goes there, and he begins teaching and pre- preaching and proclaiming the great news of Jesus Christ, the peace that is now available because of the the wonderful hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is in Ephesus and he's creating this world. Paul has to write a letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul gets imprisoned. And during his time in prison, he receives word 
that the, the Ephesians have, have struggled to understand some things and they're struggling to understand this unity thing and, and being that because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ brought peace, meaning that we are no longer enemies of God, meaning that we're no longer children of wrath, that because of Jesus Christ and trusting in Him and Him alone as our Savior and Lord, we can have peace with God. And he brought this peace not just to the Jews, but he brought it to the Gentiles alike. He brought it for all nations and all peoples and all tribes and all tongues. To enjoy, to, to have, to participate in. Well, the church in Ephesus was struggling a little bit with this unity factor. There was some, still some disunity and problems within the church. And Paul writes this letter to them. And one of the things Paul addresses to the church, don't miss this. When we read Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd love for you to turn there now. When we read Ephesians chapter 5. This, the context of this chapter, this section of scripture, falls within this context of letter to the church. And Paul is going to tell the church, if you want to have a unified, strong church, that is representative of the peace of Christ that, that Christ came to bring and that he sent the disciples into the world to proclaim and to tell others about. If you want to have a strong church that is unified in Jesus Christ, then you need to have strong marriages. That This relationship, and I want you to get this, the primary relationship, the most important relationship we have is with our God. And so the church is born out of that relationship. And the husband and wife relationship is a subset. How many of y'all know what a subset is? Okay, a, Good, good. I'm going to do that in the next service to them. I'm going to get that. So I'm good. I'm going to have to do a little less explaining. And so that's good. So they're a subset. They're a, a part of the church. And so we got to begin there. In order to have a strong and vibrant marriage, you've got to understand your marriage is a part of of the church of Christ. The, the body of Jesus Christ. And so if you want a successful, strong, vibrant, holy, wonderful marriage. And you have separated yourself out from the church of Christ. And, and uh, separated yourself out from following up underneath God's direction. I'm going to argue because of what's in the canon of scripture. That is impossible. Because God's intention for marriage is that it is a piece and parcel of the body of Christ. And it is so important for us to have strong marriages. We've got to be part of, embedded in, invested in church family. And it begins there. That is how we can begin to have this proper discussion. And Paul is going to write to the church in Ephesus regarding husbands and wives. If you want to understand what this relationship looks like, you've got to understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Christ in the church. Now, I have, I have been told, last week I had a whiteboard up here, and the week before I had a whiteboard up here, and my, my artistic ability was criticized. And, and my ability to write legibly was, was, was challenged. And so I said, you know what, um, let me work on something. So I spent a lot of time, okay, uh, I'm working on my stick diagrams this morning. Mike came up to me this morning and said, I didn't know we were going to go for basketball plays this morning. No, no, no basketball plays, okay? 
But we're, we're, we got some stick diagrams this morning that will hopefully help to illustrate, since we're talking about an illustration of marriage, I thought, why not create some illustrations? So that maybe you might be able to get a better understanding of what this looks like. Paul opens this passage in Ephesians 5.22 as he does in dealing with and every time he addresses the household, what is called the household code. He begins with the, the one who is underneath authority versus beginning with the one who is in authority. So he begins in chapter 5, verse 22, with talking to wives. He says, wives, submit to your own Husband. Yeah. Okay. Tilly, you're going to get to proclaim later even more, so just hang on. Okay? Remember, this goes both ways, folks. Our, our Savior is an equally handed teacher of what it is to obey and submit to Him. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord. Paul begins opening this illustration to us by saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, I want to give you an understanding here of this word submit. It is an abused word, but it is not a bad word. I really struggle with people who don't want to use the language of the Bible. God gave us this understanding of this relationship. And so instead of running away from the terminology that God has given us, let's hold to it and redeem it through Jesus Christ and understand what his intention was for us. So we're going to look at this word submit. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This understanding of submit, this word has this meaning and understanding to place oneself underneath the authority of another. I've mentioned before, being in the military, for those of us who've served in the military, we may have a little less problem with this word than others will. Because when you're in the military, the minute you raise your right hand and say, I just do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign, domestic, and so on and so forth. But obey the orders of the officer appointed to me and the President of the United States, whether you like it or not, when you raise your right hand, that's what you're, you're saying you're going to do. So when you become a soldier, sailor, marine, airman, and the United States Coast Guardsman and the armed forces of our nation, you place yourself, you willingly, nobody forced you to raise your right hand. These aren't the days anymore of the draft. Okay, We're all volunteer force now. You voluntarily raised your right hand. And you said, I will do these things. I am placing myself underneath the authority of those who have been pointed over me. I think we have done a disservice sometimes in our premarital discipleship. I have been challenged on this term counseling this weekend, premarital discipleship, that when we talk to husbands and wives about preparing for marriage... One of the things that maybe we don't speak clearly enough of is that when a woman says, I want to get married to this guy, and they're going to enter into this relationship, she is willingly, according to what Paul said, according to God's intention for marriage, and what is good for the church, she willingly says, 
I am placing myself up underneath the authority of my husband and he is to be the spiritual leader and spiritual head of our home. He is to lead and he is to guide and direct me in this in this area. And I look to him for his headship over me in this area. It is a volunteering. Hopefully it's not a shotgun wedding. I understand, you know, I'm from Nebraska. We, we've had a few of those, okay? But hopefully it's this voluntarily willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to submit. But oftentimes we don't talk about that. It's all about the lovey-dovey, the emotional feelings. Man, this feels great. We're so in love. And this is such a great time in our, our lives and the affection and everything's running deep. And it's just so much fun. But we don't stop to think about, no, no, what, what you're saying is when you stand up and you make your covenant vows between, before God and man... That when you say, I do, and when you say, I, I owe to do these things, that you are willingly placing yourself up underneath that man. As to the Lord. The reason, and don't miss this, the reason a woman is willing to do this or should be willing to do this because she recognizes her relationship with Jesus Christ. And she recognizes Christ has a powerful, wonderful role for her in this marriage. And that is the role that Christ has for her. And so she says, I am going to do this as unto my God and my King. Unto my Lord. She places herself underneath the leadership of her husband because she is doing this as a sign and as an act of worship to God. For the husband, in verse 23, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his, himself, its Savior. So, now, he's going to create parallels and understanding. Well, you understand that as a church family, as we walk through Ephesians, if you walk through the book of Ephesians, it was one of the first books I preached when I came here. As we walk through the book of Ephesians, we clearly understood that as a church family, we are underneath authority of Jesus Christ. He is the head over us. And we place all of ourselves under his authority. And we're willing to do that as a church family. We're excited to do that because we understand what he's done for us. Well, the husband, in this illustration, in this understanding, is being compared to, as Christ is the head over the church, so the husband is to be the head over the wife. Don't miss that understanding. That is, Christ is, so the husband is. And the wife understands that I see this illustration that as I worship Christ, I understand my husband is in this position of headship over me as Christ is head over the church, and I willingly submit to his authority. In verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit... Oh boy. Let's just act like that little prepositional phrase isn't in the Bible. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now men, before you start going amen, and my wife and I are going to have a talk on the way home. I want to have a little discussion first with the wives. This month I celebrate four years as being the lead pastor, 
this wonderful church family. I have addressed the men on several occasions. I have dressed down the men several occasions as well. I have challenged us to be the spiritual leaders, and I have point blank called us out, knowing that full well I am in the same boat with you. But I was challenged by one of my elders a while back, and he probably doesn't even remember it, so I'm not going to call him out on this one, but he says, when are you going to talk to the women about their role in marriage? Wives, this is that moment. I need you to understand that in order for you to worship Christ well, that you willingly place yourself underneath the authority of your husband. And I I really wish there was a conditional statement here because it would alleviate a lot of the pain, but because of our hard hearts as Jesus talks, about in Matthew 19. We have a lot of issues and a lot of struggles within marriages. You see, when you submit to your husband, yes, you are submitting to his authority, but ultimately you're submitting to understand that Christ is your Lord and your King, and this is his role for you to do this. I wish I had time to get the video ready for you and show it, but uh, Grace City just did a wonderful Marriage Strong series, and they showed a very powerful married video of a husband and wife um, during Easter Sunday. This husband and wife had been married 27 years. Shortly after she, they got married, she returned to her walk with Christ. She had struggled for a long time to live for Jesus, had been married before, divorced, got remarried to this gentleman who was not yet a believer. And for 27 years, she lived with a man who cheated on her, who was unloving, unkind to her, and she faithfully pursued Christ. And this last year, because of her testimony of faith and obedience to her king. He trusted in Jesus Christ. Her testimony and the Holy Spirit moving powerfully on his life, he turned and he came home and he openly shared everything with her, everything that they had done, and because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the peace that Christ brings, they are together walking with Jesus and her statement of, He was full well expecting her to leave him after he divulged all of his infidelity. She said to him, hear these words. These are powerful words. She says to him, how can I leave you when you finally become the man that I've been praying you always would be? That's submission to a degree. That the world today says, oh no, don't do that. Now, we're going to next week talk about divorce. And we're going to talk about what Christ says about divorce. And our guest speaker is going to come and powerfully share with you out of his own experience and heartache regarding divorce. And he's going to talk next week about those who were sinned against and those who sinned in regards to divorce. It's going to be powerful. 
But that is what an amazing statement to see such submission. But she didn't do it as unto her husband. She did it as unto the Lord. And she understood that that's what God has called her to be. And you go up and talk to this lady. She has been cooking all the food for the pastor's school. And you went on a grateful bunch of people. Just go cook a bunch of food for a bunch of pastors. Okay? I mean, I feel so bad. What's in this? I don't know. A lot of them are from the other side, okay? And they're really worried about what they're eating and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm like, I'm like, oh, come on. But she is so sweet and you just, the Spirit's powerful work in her life of drawing her and making more horror, more in the image of Christ is powerfully and it's so present. And it's so beautiful. Wives, you have imperfect husbands. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. My wife has an imperfect husband. And when she submits to my authority, she submits to my leadership, she does so not because I am a perfect husband, because she does so because she loves Jesus. I would like to ask and desire for all of our women in this church family who are believers in Jesus Christ to take back this word submit and redeem it. To stop making it a dirty word. But to make it a word of worship. A word where a wife says, I I don't dread doing this. I love doing this because my God and my King asked me to do this. And I recognize that obedience is unto Him first and foremost. And my King says do this. Now I understand there's issues of there's issues of abuse. And I am not sitting here saying wives sit there and get beatings and be brutalized. That's not what I'm saying at all. We get help to elders, the deacon, deaconesses of this church family. We'd love to come alongside and help in those situations and be present. I am not saying endure suffering like that and go through things like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I, what I am saying clearly, that this covenantal relationship that we enter into with husbands and wives, that we need to understand our roles within them. And abuse of a spouse is the breaking of that covenantal relationship. And I believe would fall within the realm of immorality, sexual immorality and pornea. The abuse of that wife is taking place and they break violent that covenant they made before God and men to leave and to cleave. And abuse is not leaving and cleaving. And so doing, husbands violate that and I believe God makes provision for the wife in those situations. We can arm wrestle over this later. But now, husbands, as we move and start talking, before you start thinking that this submission, this word submit, is an active word for you. It is not. Your instruction in those first three verses is nothing. That instruction is to the wives. Pay close adherence to that. Your role is not to go home and on the way home, see, I told you you should have submitted. Negative, Ghost Rider. That pattern is full. <laughs> Top Gun. I, mean, I know. I'm reaching back a little bit, okay? 
Wave off. Wave off. I'm telling you what. Christ is calling our wives to submit. And if let me tell you something. You want to ruin and devastate your marriage. You just go home and you chide her and rebuke her. Because you don't think she's submitting the way you need. Let me tell you something. Let the Holy Spirit work. I'm telling you what. I have personally experienced. See, I'm a pastor, right? And my wife's part of the congregation. So I must pastor my wife as well, right? Wrong. (laughs) Ooh, let me help you out with that. I have made a lot of mistakes in that regards. It's reading in phenomenal. Tim Keller's got a phenomenal book on the meaning of marriage. He says in that book, you, if you're struggling in your marriage relationship, serve your spouse. Serve them. It's the opposite of what the world says. The world says if you're unsatisfied, abandon them. Push away from them. Separate yourself from them. But the Bible says, serve them. Do you think it was easy for our Savior to get undressed and get down on his knees and wash the feet of the very guy that that same night would reject him three times? He served them on the cross. He stayed on the cross looking down upon the very people that were mocking him. He stayed there. He served us. We were not a fragrant aroma. That is, we, we, that the, the aroma that came up before Jesus Christ on the cross smelled so lovely. He goes, oh, this is why I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. No, we were stench. We were a pile of refuse. Dumb. Poop. That's what came. And Jesus stayed there and he served us. You want to draw near to your spouse again. You want to see your wife's heart change for the Lord. You serve her as Christ serves the church. And I'm in this with you. So please don't think that I'm up here on... That's one of these days... I I understand why there's a stage. um, Because, you know, you're supposed to be able to see one another and all that good stuff. But some days I feel like I should be below the stage and talking up to you because... Just where I'm at and and how I struggle to live the way God is calling us to live. Smith's not a dirty word. It's a word of worship. When properly understood within the context of what Christ is calling our wives to do. Jesus now turns, or Paul now turns to the husband's. And some of you are wondering how I ended up in Ephesians today. When we go through this paragraph, you'll understand the link with Matthew 19 very clearly soon. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did I do in this picture? Did you notice a big difference? Where are the men in Christ in this picture? Servant. Tilly, where's your amen? Come on now. <laughs> Messed up on my slide over here. That should say husband. Get that fixed the service. But uh, I did a lot of these things. I drew all of these. Okay, this took a long time. Um, but uh, this is a beautiful thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. He served her in the most beautiful way possible. 
Christ said, I am holding nothing back. I know exactly what you need. I'm going to serve you the way you need. At church, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you holy church. And it's going to cost me everything. Husbands, this is how we're to serve and love. Excuse me, I love our wives. Verse 26 goes on to say that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spots or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. Now, <laughs> I have heard some, some pastors really try to make an equivalent here for the husband and wife, and there was some weird washcloths and stuff like that. And I'm, you know what? Um, there is not sometimes always a direct correlation between what Jesus Christ did for the church. Gentlemen, we do not possess the way ability to make our wife holy. Only God possesses the ability to make our wife holy. But what has Jesus done for the church? He has benefited the church. He has made it so that his love and his actions towards the church was of absolutely perfect benefit for the church. What was hard for Jesus was glorious for the church. What is hard for us as husbands should be glorious for our wives. We should know our wives. We should serve them where they need to be served. We should love them where they need to be loved. And sometimes we really stink at this. There's a great little book. Let me help you out with this. I think one of the practical ways, the five love languages is a quick read. And I know every time I bring up a book, somebody's got something negative to say about it. I got it. There's pros and cons with every book. But it's a quick read that is helpful. Because sometimes, men, we want to love and lavish on our wives where our desire is at. I want touch, so I'm going to touch my wife, right? And your wife's like, hey, that's not, my, that's not what's filling my tank. Gifts of service, you know, doing things for me, um, affirmation, words of affirmation. There are other things that I need that you're not giving me when you just can't touch me. You're filling your cup, but baby, I'm dry. And you're wondering why I don't want to be anywhere near you. Jesus knows exactly what the church needs. He ministers to the church exactly. He loves the church family. He continues to intercede on behalf of the church. He doesn't take a day off. His love never ends. His grace never ends. It abounds. Husbands, we're to love our wives this way. And minister to them. Serve them where they need to be served. Wives, you can make this difficult for us sometimes. Let's, let's do ourselves a favor in our marriages. Let's stop with the little petty mind games where, oh, I'm going to feign like I don't want it. And then when he goes, okay, you don't want that, I won't do it. And then get upset when I didn't do it. But stop that. Accept it. God is calling the husbands to lovingly serve their wives where they're at and minister to them. Wives be like, thank you. Because as the husband serves his wife this way, he is worshiping God. Because he recognizes that that marriage is a part of the church family. And that marriage needs to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. And he loves Jesus Wives, be grateful for men that love Jesus and want to pursue Jesus. But men, don't pervert this. Don't make this unholy. 
Christ's love for the church is always holy and perfect. Husbands, as we serve our wives, do not, do not introduce things into your married life that are unholy or that are damaged your wife's heart towards Jesus or your heart towards our Lord. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Christ loves the church. Christ is the head over the church. We see this beautiful headship and the body of Christ. We fall up underneath the headship of Jesus and Christ loves the body. He takes care of the body. He cherishes the body. He nurses the body. In this imagery of husband and wife, the husband is the head over the wife, the husband's the head, the wife is the body, and as he takes care of her, he recognizes as I take care of her and meet her and nourish her and cherish her, I take care of our relationship and us as one. Because what is Genesis 2.18 says, we're going to talk about it in just, or 2.24, it says the two shall become one flesh. The husband and wife are one. And so as the husband nourishes and cherishes his wife and takes care of her, this idea of nourishing and cherishing is this idea of a mother coddling a child and breastfeeding it and nourishing it and caring for it. It's this tender, affectionate, intimate, attaching moment. I have daughters that struggle with attachment. And how my wife aches, yearns to wish to have that moment to be able to to nurse our daughters, to hold them in this intimate way so that their hearts might attach and bond from birth so that they might be drawn together in close relationship to to have this this feeling without words being expressed, this bond that's that so desires to be there. But when you when you adopt the child, you don't get those moments. And it's hard. And what we see in this picture here is the husband is supposed to nourish and cherish his wife in an intimate, loving, compassionate, powerful way that draws the two together, that makes that one flesh bond so tight. This is a beautiful, wonderful picture of intimacy of, of priority. And as husbands love their wives this way, they understand that they're strengthening not only their relationship, but they're strengthening the church family as a whole because a marriage is a subset of the church relationships as with children and parents, as with slaves and slave masters. As those relationships are strong and united together, the church family is strong. Ephesians 5.31 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. How did we get from Matthew 19 to Ephesians 5? What does Jesus say in response to the Pharisees in regards to the force? That's why it is written a father, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is a powerful statement. But you've got to realize, we've talked about this before, that 
Adam didn't have a mom and dad. Moses is writing to the Israelite people who are in the midst and throes of sin and marriage strife and struggle. Moses was dealing with all the problems of the Israelite people and marriages were having just as much problems as they wandered through the wilderness, even if not more than they are today. And Moses was giving instruction by the power of God to the Israelite people that Jesus himself references so that we might have a proper understanding of what marriage should look like. First Peter references, Colossians 3 references, and Ephesians references. We see this beautiful canon of scripture that says, you want to know what marriage looks like? Leave and cleave, baby. Leave and cleave. If you really want to boil it down to, that's what it's going to talk. Leave it to. And, and Paul is expounding this for us. Notice this next statement. He says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. What in the world is Paul saying here? What mystery? What does this mean? Well, remember when Paul talks about mystery, things that have been once hidden have now been revealed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You want to understand what a vibrant marriage is? Look at Jesus Christ's head over the church. As he is the head over the church, he fulfills and gives us the perfect picture of what marriage looks like. This mystery was once a mystery when Moses wrote, leave and cleave. He didn't understand that it was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You want to know what the perfect marriage looks like? This mystery was hidden, but now it's been revealed to us. So, you know, that's a real kick in the pants to us because we like to look back at the Old Testament and we like to look back and see where they fell. And they're going, man, they were a bunch of knuckleheads. But so much of the revelation of God had been hidden from them and their understanding. They looked forward to the Messiah, but they didn't have a complete picture of what the Messiah would look like and do and how he would be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. We get to look back. We get to see our king as the fulfillment of all of these things. And because we get to look back, as it says of John the Baptist, right? It says we're better than John the Baptist. Why? Because we have a ability to look back at Jesus Christ, see how he is the fulfillment of all things, and live in light of his fulfillment of all things. We get this opportunity to live this way. We should have the most vibrant, amazing marriages on the planet. The outside world, the not yet believing world, should look at the church and say, man, I want marriages like that. But instead they see statistics that reflect the marriage and divorce rate. In the church, it's the same outside, outside the church. Doggone it. One of the reasons I gave you the handout that I gave you is that I should have probably told you this beginning. is so that as you spend time with your spouse, you can walk through this together and go back and reflect on this. But as you encounter marriages in your community, as your kids start to have struggles in their marriages, as you start visiting with friends and they're saying we're starting to have some struggles, or you're sitting in the room and there's this awkward silence because on the way there to your house, they were screaming at each other. They're trying to cover it up right now. Laughing at every silly thing because it's a really awkward moment. You might have an understanding of how to walk through somebody and say, you know what? Let's walk through something together. God has an intention for your married life that I don't think you quite understand. 
And it, first of all, it begins with this relationship with Jesus Christ. Because until you're part of the church family, you cannot understand fully what it is to be married. Because the church family is an integral part of understanding what it is to be in relationship with the Lord. Verse 33, however, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This beautiful, wonderful picture of love and submission and respect. Wives, if you want to see your wife come alive, serve her well, cherish her, nourish her, minister to her as Jesus Christ ministers to the church and meets the church right where they're at and provides for the needs of the church right where they're at. Serve her well. Love her with a love that is not limited, but that abounds. Pray for her regularly. Pray for her. Oh, this weekend, I last two days of pastoral school, the, the gentleman that came and spoke to us really beat us up over the, the understanding of prayer. And let me tell you what. Pray for her intentionally and thoughtfully. Pray, prayer that it just isn't glib or cliche, but prayer that, that is honest, that is open. And sometimes to pray for your wife is going to be a struggle. When you guys are not getting along, to sit down before the Holy God and say, Lord, I want you to be with my wife. I want you to fill her. I want you to fill her with the power of your spirit. I want you to fill her with, with the word. I, I want you to just love on her. And I want you to just encourage her this day. I want you to just lift her up. When in your heart you're going, man, she just said some horrible things to me. Pray for her. Struggle in prayer for your wife. She's so worth it. After all, she puts up with you. And wives... Respect your husbands, even when sometimes the decision they make is making you puzzle or go, hmm. Or what you thought wasn't supposed to be done perfectly or rightly. Some of the most wonderful things my wife ever did for me was I was beginning my stages of woodworking and we were living in an apartment, didn't have any kind of shop. I just kind of right on the back patio made these just horrific looking nightstands. She put them on display she told everyone that came, my husband did this for us, so we didn't have to go buy something new. And I'm so appreciative. And when we moved, and they were like, going to fall apart, she's like, can we fix them and keep them? You see, I want you all to understand that the way this works together is a complete reliance on Jesus Christ. And the husband loves the wife as Christ. The husband knows Christ's love personally. This implies a knowledge, men, of your love, that Jesus loves you. 
This, this implies a very practical knowledge that Jesus, what he has done for you and accomplished on your behalf. And you've you got to know that Jesus is meeting you right where you're at. This implies that knowledge, man. You cannot love your wives as Christ loved the church if you do not have the knowledge yourself. And I'm not talking about this big tome of theological knowledge. I'm talking about the very practical knowledge and understanding of what Christ has done to save you from your sin. And how he continues to draw you closer to him. How he convicts your heart. How he is patient and steadfast with you. How he is not quick to judge you. As it was said in Psalm 103 today. He is steadfast, loving, patient, merciful. You must know that love of Jesus Christ in your own life. You must cling to that kind of love from Jesus. In order to love your wife the way you're supposed to love her. You must know the love of God. Otherwise you can't love your wife that way. We can't do it, man. We have to be open and honest with our junk before God, and we have to allow the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We need to rejoice in the Lord. We need to boast in Him, in Him alone. Not in our abilities, not in our work performance, not in our accolades, but we boast in Christ alone, and we know His love. We understand that a love of Jesus Christ is a servant's love. And... You know what's crazy? Jesus delights in the church. Men, do you delight in your wife? Does she know you delight in her? Wives, as you love Jesus and as you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he has called you to and how he has sacrificially loved you, and how he is radically transforming and changing your life and drawing you closer to him. The more you love Jesus, the more you're willing to say, yes, I, I will place myself underneath the headship of my husband. We're going to have this intimate relationship. We're going to talk about real things. We're going to share our hearts with one another. We're going to weep together. We're going to cry together. I'm going to not attach myself to anyone else but to my husband. And men, same thing for you. When a woman and a man enter into marriage, men, we shouldn't be having close relationships with other women. And men, and men, wives, you shouldn't be having close relationships with other men. Those intimate moments are reserved for your spouse and spouse alone. And we recognize we can live this way. It is a way the world wants to argue against and contradict against because this is for both husband and wife, it is sacrificial love. For both husband and wife, it is understanding God's intention and role in the marriage. And then we do this unto the king. And Matthew is all about teaching us about Jesus as king. So I ask you this morning, is Jesus king of your marriage? Is he king? Do you understand what God has done for you so that you might have this abund amazing, abundant, vibrant relationship? And if he's not king, then, then, then we need to put him back on the throne of your hearts. And for those of us who are preparing for marriage or thinking about getting married, you need to go into that marriage relationship, that dating relationship with this understanding. And do you see how devastating it is to enter into a dating relationship with a not-yet-believer? And you marry a not-yet-believer... Because there's no way to have this kind of amazing, abundant marriage with a not yet believer. God has a, a 
just an, it's, a, it's mind-blowing how joyful marriage should bring to us. Because we're married and we get to share this life and have this relationship. And then as we work together to love one another well, we get to better understand how Christ has loved the church. Brothers and sisters, this morning I implore you, go home and have that conversation don't beat each other up. Please don't. Be, do, do not use this as an occasion for the evil one to sneak inside your marriage and destroy it. Please. Hear the words of God. Jesus Christ, compassion and love is so steadfast and merciful. And men, if you miss that, please don't be a knucklehead. Please. And women, don't, don't just think, yep, it's all on my husband. No, it's on you too. This is a joint effort. And as you do this, you do it under the Lord. You serve and you worship Him. I guess I'm so passionate this morning because I'm tired of watching marriages fail. I'm tired of divorces happening underneath my watch. This pastor of this church. And it's breaking my heart. And every time they come in and they sit down, it's her problem, it's his problem. That's not the language of this text. The language of this text says, wives, it's my problem, husbands, it's my problem. I'm not loving her the way Christ loved the church. I am not submitting to him as unto the Lord. I'm not worshiping God in my marriage. I need your help. You're out there on the street. You're in the jobs force. You're, you're retired. You're out there on the lake fishing. You're on the golf course. You're in the schools with the kids. You can sense, you know, those kids start talking about mom and dad and you, you're, you're going, oh my goodness, there's a problem. Speak, be light. Join in relationship with those couples that are struggling. Don't run away from the couples that are struggling. Embrace them. Don't be fearful of them. Embrace them. They need this truth and love of Jesus Christ so they might know how to live so that Christ might redeem their marriage. Please, take what you've known. I look around this room and I see couples that have been married for 30, 40, 50, almost 50, 60 plus years. Bill and Lois, how many? Uh-oh, boy, Bill. Uh-oh. Y'all have got the corner on the market. <laughs> I love Bill Moise's honesty. I'll never, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to be in that car right home. Bill may be pleaded with me never to preach this passage again next week. No, in all seriousness, though, you all have been gifted and blessed with what it understands and looks like. And our community needs to know. Walk them through this text. Show them and demonstrate to them from the word of God. You see, we have been called since Jesus Christ raised us from the grave. And he gave us the peace that enables us to be able to be family with God. Since we're family with God, we can have vibrant and amazing marriages. And we can marry, carry with us the message 
that in our marriages, Christ came to redeem, came to redeem our marriages so that sin and death would not reign in them any longer. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that your truth would powerfully convict our hearts and that all of us would strive together to serve each other well in our marriage relationships and even for those that are married right now that couldn't carry this truth into our community and strengthen other people's marriages. And as people are getting ready to be married, preparing for marriage, that their marriage might be more abundant and meaningful when they do get married because of the truth of the Word of God and Christ's redeeming influence that began even before they said, I do. In Jesus' most wonderful and holy name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we sing this closing, these closing songs, I just like to read on in Psalm 103 to you. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Oh.
Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his well. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And for those of you who might want to begrudgingly follow in obedience to God, for the joy set before him, endure the Thanks so much for coming. Those of you who are members of LC, don't forget to go and hope it's everything you know. Thanks for joining us.